Hey everybody, welcome back to the OG. I'm John Kearney. I'm Stephen Peters. And uh, we're happy to be back with you guys. I hope you guys liked last week's podcast. Uh, we thought it came out pretty well, and we're hoping this week's going to come out just as well. So we're going to break down some of the NBA playoff talk. Um, Nick is going to break down some of his thoughts on the NHL, and that'll be his own segment. And we're also going to go into the ESPN's list of the top 100 world-famous athletes, as well as some baseball talk towards the end of the, the show. So the times for those will be in the description of the show on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening. And uh, we'll just jump right in. So we're going to start out Eastern Conference playoffs. Been kind of a wild ride. Last week, you know, we picked – we both picked the Raptors um, – I think we picked the 76ers, if I'm not wrong, as well. Yeah, I mean, I did. I think you picked the Nets. I might have picked the Nets, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I did, actually, yeah, now that I'm thinking back on it. So, you know, interesting starts to both those series. The Magic shocked the world and beat the Raptors after I proclaimed that no one cared. So maybe they heard that and were like, you know what? We care. We care, John Kearney. Um, so what did you think of that? those first two games in that series? Yeah, I mean – I really expected the Raptors to go out and sweep the Magic. I didn't think it was going to be close. Um, they're proving that they're more feisty bunch than people are giving them credit for. Um, DJ Augustine's still balling. Um, their big men are playing well. I think Toronto's still going to take it. I think they'll figure it out maybe in five or six. I'm probably six, if I was to guess. Yeah. But I think Orlando might win one at home. But it's probably the worst-case scenario for Toronto. Like, you finally get rid of LeBron. <laughs> And now you're losing to Orlando. And then Kyle Lowry goes out and puts up a goose egg in the points. 0 for 5 from the field. And it's it's not even like he counteracted it with like a bunch of assists, like 15 assists yeah. or like anything that's not in the box score. He just was an anchor down there on the court. Yeah, he was a liability. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was a great win for Orlando, great win for the underdog. Toronto came back in the second game and said, listen, we're the two seed. We have Kawhi Leonard. He put up 37, if yeah. I remember correctly. And – they just said, we're not having any of this shit. Orlando, you're Orlando for a reason. There's a reason the only reason people go there is because of Disney World. So take that as you will, Orlando. <laughs> I, I reiterate, no one cares again. Yeah. Now that you've lost by 30, no one cares. Yeah. Um, the 76ers in the Nets series, though, is getting chippy, and I like it. I'm here for yeah. it. Um, the first game, the Nets came out and... Like, I mean, we predicted we're going to shoot the lights out. They, they really, really performed well. Shot great from the free throw line. Um, you know, the Sixers just really weren't there. And like we predicted, Ben Simmons checked out for game one. Yeah. And really both of us have seen that in person. And plenty of people have seen it on the court in the NBA. Um, and we compared him to Jokic. Jokic did the same thing. We'll get to that a little bit after. But came back in game two, made some adjustments. Really put on a show, 18 points. I think he had a triple-double as well. Yeah. Um, you know, the other guys kind of picked it up. But, you know, what did you see in that series that you liked? I mean, Jimmy Butler had 36 points in the first game, and they still lost by almost – I think they lost by 10 or a little, mm-hmm. little more. It's – you can't have that. You really can't. Um, ben, ben Simmons needs to pick it up all around, especially with the shooting. They're leaving him open, and I know he's not a good shooter. But if you drive and kick – open up other, like, J.J. Redick, open up Jimmy Butler, maybe even Joel Embiid for a couple threes a game. It'll really help the offense a lot. It'll take more pressure off them. It'll take more pressure off your bench. It, it'll He needs to be a better facilitator. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Nets, like we said, like, they came out firing in the first half. They have nothing to lose. Um, first game, sorry. Uh, they have nothing to lose. 
Um, they looked good. And let's see if they can take this one tonight in Brooklyn. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that game. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, going back to your point about Ben Simmons, he needs to be better. He shot one of five from the free throw line. He had nine points in that first game. Only shot nine times. Um, in comparison, Embiid shot 15 times. And he also didn't have a good game either. He, he shot five of 15, 33% from the field. Butler shot 50%. He had a great game. Um, like you said, he had 36. But I think Simmons needs to shoot more and needs to definitely, I mean, these are all things that he should have adjusted in the season when he was, you know, shooting from the free throw line, you have to get better at the line, especially in the playoffs where they may not call certain things, but if you're Ben Simmons and you're going to the rim, they're going to call fouls. Yeah. You should have prepared for this ahead of time. And one for five is an embarrassment. It's not good. Um, so it was nice to see him pick it up in the second game. I still have one more game on my radar for him to check out. And, I gave him the. I, my pick was that he was going to have two games where he could be checked out um, at a minimum. So I, I would like to see him be engaged because it just makes the series so much more interesting. But it wouldn't surprise me if he if he checked it, mentally checked out and was just a floater out there, not not really doing anything or impacting the game at all. And Jared Dudley made the comment that he's really only great in transition in the half court. He shrinks. And I think that's a fair thing for him to say. And, you know, Ben Simmons came back with, well, that's coming from Jared Dudley. But at the same time, Jared Dudley's a longtime vet in the NBA. He's been around the league. This is Ben Simmons, technically his second year. Yeah. And I think I understand why he came back at him like that, because it is Jared Dudley. He's not a superstar. He's not an all-star like Ben Simmons is. But I think it's a fair criticism. Ben Simmons is a special talent, and he has to be a leader on that team. Even though he's younger, it's only his second year, like you said. He needs to be the focal point of the offense. He needs to be the floor general. He needs to – the offense runs through Ben Simmons. Mm -hmm. So he needs to stay focused. He needs to be in the game. or They're not winning the series. Yep, for sure. Um, And then the other two series, the Boston-Indiana game last night was great. I don't know if you saw that. you know, came down to the wire. Kyrie put on a show at the end of the game, and Indiana's defense fell apart. Not only did they not score well in those last five minutes of the game or so, they also were getting lost on defense, weren't putting a hand up on Kyrie. Jason Tatum was getting wide open looks. Gordon Hayward had the wide open look when they should have been fouling. Um, It was just an all-around collapse at the end of that game for, for Indianapolis. Indiana, sorry. (laughs) Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun to watch and for Knicks fans, it probably broke your heart a little bit that Kyrie was putting on a show. And then, you know, this is my city type stuff where it's like, you know, he, he loves Boston, I think. And it's, especially in the playoffs, it's tough to compare. And I don't know that he'll leave the security of Boston for, for New York after these playoffs, if they can advance to the second round and beyond, Mm. um, I don't know. I, I'm sure. I think you might have felt differently based on your reaction. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't think he's staying in Boston personally. Mm-hmm. I don't know where he's going to end up, but I think he's going to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I said last week, Indiana, like they don't have that score down the stretch that you can really go to, yep. and that's going to be the biggest flaw in the series. Um, the lack of the defense is crazy too, because that's that's their focal point as a team. Even before Victor Oladipo went out, their defense was their strong suit. Um, it's tough to see stuff like that happen. So, definitely. And then you know, Detroit, Milwaukee, 
ended up not really being I, – I predicted that there were going to be some good yeah. games. Last night's game wasn't bad going into the fourth quarter. And then Milwaukee just ran away with yeah, it. Giannis, Giannis absolutely baptized uh, Thon Maker and, and – Former teammate. It was like – it was brutal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I knew that one wasn't going to be a series. Detroit doesn't, doesn't have the firepower. Well, to be fair, I made my prediction when they had Blake – and then Blake's out for the series. So I think I get a little asterisk. I'm like the Barry Bonds of this show where I get an asterisk next to my my record because, <laughs> let's be honest, Blake Griffin I think might make a difference in this series as opposed to it being a 21-point game in the second game and a 35-point game in the first game. Blake's going to add at least 20 points. Yeah. I mean, minimum. Blake Blake would make it um, bucks and five as opposed to bucks and four. So. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> But that was kind of what I predicted. I said it wasn't going to be – I don't think the Pacers would win. I just thought that they would make it a game – or the Pistons would win. I, I just thought they would make them games. Yeah. Um, so we're going to move into the Western Conference, which has also been – these playoffs have been great so far. Let's, let's really be are. honest. Yeah. Um, you know, with the exception of the Rockets series, which is kind of everyone knew what was going to happen there. James Harden was going to absolutely toast everybody on that team. Um, you know, but – We'll start with Golden State, the Clippers. So, I mean, I didn't think the Clippers were going to win a game. Yeah, but no. they're, they're really showing that they're they mean they they deserve to be in the playoffs. I mean, Pat Beverly is really pissing off KD, which is great to see. Yeah, that's um, been rough. Danilo Gallinari has been playing well. Zubac mm-hmm. plays has been playing well. The loss of Demarcus Cousins is going to hurt the Warriors down the stretch more towards after this series mm-hmm. than right now. Yep. Um, I still have the Warriors. I think they might win in five, six. But yeah, I don't know that I see the Clippers winning another no. game. But I think they're can. I think they going to make the games interesting. They're going to keep them close. And Yeah, they're going to be fiery. It's going to be a lot of a lot of chippy stuff that, that Pat Beverly's great at. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what he's made his career on, and that's why he's been such a commodity among, amongst the teams that he's been on. Um, what do you think of Kevin Durant? really shrinking under that kind of defensive pressure. And I mean, it's like the Durant rules out there because it's, it's hand checks and it's the whole thing. And they're not calling it, which I think is crazy because it's Kevin Durant. You would think, you know, he's going to get calls, but I think this is also residual from the Warriors treating the refs like shit during the season. They, they really don't. It's, it's horrible at all. And the refs don't say anything to them, but now it's coming back to bite them in the ass in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, when you're when you're that good for that long, like the Warriors have been, you kind of start thinking you're hot shit and you deserve everything. You mm-hmm. kind of almost hand it to you on a silver platter. Yep. Um, and I think they're realizing now that they really fucked up during the season by not um, treating the refs better, by arguing every little call like you could. Yeah. Um, especially KD. KD, I think he was what one technical away from being suspended. The Something like that. He had a lot, and it was a lot of like dumb technicals where it was like, "What? Why? Why? Why are you even bothering with this?" Yeah. You know. Uh, I I don't know. You know, it's it's going to be tough for him. I think to to overcome this particular thing because this is going to be the blueprint for how teams defend him in the future. Mm-hmm. It's going to be oh, if we get up into him and make him think about you know pressure and. Even like Pat Beverly is a foot shorter than Kevin Durant. Yeah, he's not. Even he's not on the same plane at all in terms of size, and yet he's in Kevin Durant's head so deep that he is taking nine shots a game. He's got a lot of real estate up there. He's been ejected. They've both gotten technicals, or they both fouled out. Got ejected. Yeah, they both got ejected. But 
Pat Beverly getting ejected is a much smaller loss than Kevin Durant getting ejected. Even yeah. though it's the Warriors, they still have the Splash Brothers and the shell of Draymond. You know, Durant is irreplaceable on that team. Um, I just think that without Durant, you're going to really without Durant mentally, it's going to be tough on the Warriors. I feel like the loss of both of those players has different um, impacts on their team's mentality. So, mm-hmm. like, you lose Pat Beverly because he's playing too hard, mm-hmm. or like you're gonna rally around that. Yeah, you're gonna get fired when, up when you, when you lose KD. You're and like he's a star player, one of the top top three maybe in the league. Yeah, and he's gonna like when you lose a player top three like that, um, you're just like fuck. What do we do now? I mean, like you said, they, like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson are still top players in the league mm-hmm. and they're gonna go out and produce but when you're losing somebody on both ends of the floor like kd it's just it's tough it's really team. demoralizing yeah um and it also puts more pressure on steph because like i said the shell of draymond draymond's not the same player he was so you can't re- lean on him as much andre Iguodala's getting older mm-hmm. he's 35 36 um sean livingston's getting older you know the guys that were big for them in their past championships or their, even their past championship runs in the years that they didn't win, um, or the year that they didn't win, they're they're getting older. They're not able to do the same things, and that puts a lot more pressure on Steph to be the guy, and that also puts more defensive pressure on Steph because he doesn't have that outlet to give because Clayton doesn't create off the dribble. Right. You know the game that he scored whatever it was thirty seven in the in the quarter, mm-hmm. he dribbled like nine times. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, it's not it's not even a comparable force on offense without KD. And that's not to say that I don't think the Warriors could be successful without KD, but I think he makes it a, it's a lot harder to play without him when you've been playing with him all season. Yeah. And with Pat Beverly getting him in, getting in his head, getting him out of games, it's going to be really tough. Yeah. I mean, KD helps spread the floor a little bit more because it gives you a second ball handler after Steph. Um, like you said, I think they can win. Without KD, I mm-hmm. think they're just gonna have to change up their offensive scheme. Yep. Because like you like the spacing and the ball movement has to be even more like crisp and like more fluent without mm-hmm. KD because you're not gonna have that second ball handler. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in free agency. Clips and six. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I, I would love to see the Clippers win that series just because it would be so demoralizing to the Warriors. And I, I like Steph Curry still. I like Clay Thompson. I just don't like Kevin Durant. Yeah. For I don't like Kevin Durant's move that he made. I think as an athlete, yeah, I think he seems like a good guy. I don't. <laughs> I don't like Steph. I don't like. I mean, Clay's the only player on the Warriors I really like. Mm-hmm. Other than that, like I love Iguodala though. Yeah, Iggy too. Like the bench me. players are great. The bench squad for the Warriors is a lot of Thanks. fun. Yeah. Um, but anyway, moving on from from that series, we both still have the Warriors in that. Yeah. Um, we're gonna move. We're gonna skip. I think we could probably skip the Rockets and the Jazz. It's gonna be a sweep. I mean, it's gonna be a sweep. Um, Pat Beverly's notes on James Harden didn't really seem to work out. Yeah, force him right. <laughs> Stupid. But I think um, like that hasn't been done. If like when the Warriors and Rockets win the series, that second round is going to be maybe the series to watch. In the- That's basically going to be the Western Conference Finals. Basically, yeah. Um, or it's going to be what the reference, the reference con- the Western Conference Finals <laughs> that we wanted to see. Yeah. Just in the second round. Yeah. Um. Portland OKC has been a great series. Damian Lillard is dominating that series. Russell Westbrook is trying to shoulder the load, and Paul George's shoulder is not great. <laughs> and it's really making an impact. I, I love I love the way Damian Lillard plays, and I like that he's finally like 
getting the recognition that he's deserved for probably two or three years now. Yeah. Um, maybe even longer than that. Yeah. But since he's been in the conversation for a top five point guard and now probably a top three point guard in the league, um, depending on your definition of point guard, if you put James Harden in there, I don't. So that's I why don't. he's top three for me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think OKC, I still think, could put something together. But 2-0 is really tough to come back from. You have to win both games at home. I think to at least even be in the conversation, if you lose one of those games, I don't think there's any coming back yeah. from that. The three, one series. I mean, listen, if Portland blows a three, one series, three, one lead, it's not the finals, but it's, it's something, yeah. it's something to talk about. And the, the current construction of that team, there's no way that that should happen. I think if the, if OKC can find a way to take both at home, it, I think it's going to go seven. Yeah. I think it's going to go seven, which would be great to see because the Dame Westbrook matchup is so much fun to watch. It's electric. It's great. And especially because <laughs> the different efficiencies in that series. Oh, my God. What was Westbrook, 5 for 20 in the second game? Yes, he was 5 for 20. Um, he he had a, almost a triple-double again. Um, and, I mean, I guess that's the reason that people bring up, you know, do triple-doubles really matter? Because when Russ is putting up 14, 9, and 11 – but he's also shooting 20% from the field or 25% from the field. <laughs> you know, it's not not a great look. Um, he he did shoot well from the line in that second game, but he also shot one of six from three. But I think what's really not being talked about is Paul George. Yeah, he had 27 points. He shot two of seven from three. Yeah. Which is rough. And really where he made he – made, you know, his money was inside of the arc, which is an issue. Yeah, down the stretch in that game, too, he was just chucking up prayers. Mm-hmm. Um, they were they were down, I think, six or seven, and they were trying to shoot threes to get themselves back in as opposed to just playing the game. Yeah. Finding baskets whatever way they can. Um, I think that was a big mistake on mm-hmm. their part. And it's also on the coaching at that point because, yeah. like, you got to realize that and be like, hey, like, we're not going to win a shootout, so, like, just play your game and get, get us back into it the best way we can. Yeah. So – um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens in OKC. We'll see how that plays out. Definitely. And I think the other big part for, for OKC is that when they were at their best during the season, they were getting production from people like Jeremy Grant, Terrence Ferguson, Dennis Schroeder off the bench. You know, there were guys that were adding to their outlook on the season and really adding to their performance. And other than Westbrook, Adams, and Paul George – there was no one else in double figures on the team for scoring. Yeah, I mean, that's an issue. I mean, this Thunder team has been a lot deeper than years past. It's probably the deepest since KD left, mm-hmm. and they need the production off the bench, especially in the playoffs. Like, you can't just have your starters carry all the load. Yeah, and the thing is, it's not even their starters. Like, it's literally just their two stars and Steven Adams, who's like, you know, a B-level player for them. Yeah, and it's a lot of putbacks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's he had 16 and 9 in that second game. Jeremy Grant, who played 30 minutes, had 5 points and 4 rebounds. Yeah, you're a power really forward, bad. you know. He's athletic. He's really There's bad. no reason that he should be not contributing on the glass and you can, you know, maybe that's because Russ is hawking for rebounds and they're kind of giving him up, giving up rebounds to Russ. But he only had 9 Russell, so I don't know if that's that's really logical and then Terrence Ferguson had 7 points. And it's just he also played thirty minutes, and it's just it doesn't make sense to me why these guys are playing big minutes if they're not able to put the ball in the basket. Mm-hmm. Um, on the on the flip side, you know, Damian Lillard had twenty nine, CJ McCollum had thirty three, and Mo Harkless had fourteen, and those are the only guys in double figures for Portland. 
but it was the efficiency that really told the tale. And Damian Lillard was shooting 50% from three. CJ shot 40, excuse me, 42% from three for almost 43. And they also shot very well at the line. CJ shot a hundred percent and Dame went five of seven for 71%. So that kind of tells you the story of the, why the, the trailblazers are succeeding more than the thunder. Yeah. I mean, CJ and Dame combined for over half their points. Like they had a lot of production out of those two. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when you're, especially in Portland's case, when two stars carry the weight of the load almost all season and into the playoffs, you need that production. Um, that's why like the bench players are even more important in the Thunder's case as opposed to in Portland's case because Portland plays like this all season, really, mm-hmm. where um, CJ and Dame carry most of the load. And Nurkic had a lot of it this year, but before he went down. So, um, I don't know. The Thunder have to find a way to try to contain both of, both CJ and Dame. And it's a lot easier said than done. For sure. But um, a little bit of um, adjustment on defense is going to go a long way for the Thunder. Definitely. It's going to be an interesting last, you know, next two games because it's going to be an OKC, which is going to be, you know, a different environment. See if that amps up the Thunder's play. Um, our last series that we have to get into is the Nuggets and the Spurs. Um, this was this was something that we'd kind of disagreed on a little bit. You, you had predicted that the Spurs were going to – do a little better than I did uh, than I thought they would in this series. And first game they showed out, they really, they really played a great game. And then the second game, Jamal Murray took over in that fourth quarter after having a terrible first half. Um, you know, what, what do you think is going to end up being the outcome of that series? It was nice to see the Nuggets um, bounce back after that first, first game loss, but I'm still sticking with the Spurs. I think Popovich is going to continue to get his boys ready for this. Um, DeMar DeRozan's not a, like, He's used to the playoffs. LaMarcus Aldridge is used to the playoffs. There's a lot of players on the Spurs that are already used to the postseason and what needs to be done. I still think the inexperience of the Nuggets is going to bite them in the ass down the stretch. I think I'm going to still take Spurs and maybe six. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I agree with you with the Popovich thing. I, I just don't think they have the talent level to beat the Nuggets talent level if the Nuggets talent plays to their abilities mm-hmm. or plays to the way that they've even played all season. For example, second game, Jokic had 21, 13 and eight, which is basically what he did all year was he's going to give you his 20 points or close to 20 points. He's going to give you, you know, close to 10 re- or 10 rebounds or so give or take, mm-hmm. and then eight assists. And that was, those were pretty much his season numbers right there. And he did that in the second game and they won as opposed to the first game where Jokic really kind of disappointed and he's the, he's the leader of that team. He's the star of that team. And he had 10, 14 and 14, but the scoring just wasn't there and they ended up losing by five. So let's say he puts up another 10 points, which is his season average is about 20 and they win that game. Yeah. He only took nine shots in that game. That's Mm -hmm. a huge, huge part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, like you said earlier with um, Jokic and Ben Simmons kind of shying yep. away. And it's like they wrote each other out. a letter and we're like, all right, first game we're not playing. <laughs> we're not tr- we're not looking to score. We're not looking at all. Um, yeah, I mean, you like out of your main producer on offense, you need more than nine shots in the game, mm-hmm. especially in the postseason, especially against Popovich because he's going to he's going to shut down other players. So you need like you need your go to guy to really sh- show out. Yeah, and the, the 14 assists is great, and I love to see that, especially out of a big man. That you know, It's a lot of fun to see, especially the way that he does it. It's very flashy. But I'd rather see him have eight assists and 20 points in that game and be able to contribute a little more. 
uh, whether it's even just hockey assists, moving the ball. Um, so, you know, I, I'm still going to stick with Denver. I have to. Jokic is my guy. And, uh, you know, you can say that that's bias or whatever you wanted because it is. Mm-hmm. But he's he's my guy. And I'm, yeah. I'm going to roll with him throughout this playoffs. And, you know, I think they'll end up losing to, to the Warriors if they come up against them. Or even the Rockets, I think, would be an interesting series. But I'd love to see it get to a finals. That'd be a lot of fun <laughs> to see. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't hate the Nuggets in the series. I think it's going to be close. You can really go either way, but I'm going to stick with the Spurs. So Popovich, you brought up, and I, I had some thoughts on him because I was really thinking about, you know, the team that the Spurs have this year, and the way that everyone was like, oh, I guess their streak of making the playoffs is over. The beginning of the season was terrible for them. It was, yeah. Um, you know, everyone was kind of done with Popovich. They were like, ah, oh, is he too old? Is he is his reluctance to adapt going to be an issue and going to be the downfall of the Spurs? Turns out, didn't fucking matter. Greg Popovich said, "You know what? Get on my back, team. We're gonna we're gonna go for a ride, and I'm gonna show you how to play this game." And my hot take for today, and I'm it may be the only one. It may not be, but Greg Popovich is the last true coach in basketball. I kind of disagree with that. But before I disagree with that, um, the the Spurs team this year is a lot different than the Spurs teams in years past, just mm-hmm. from a roster standpoint. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of turnaround. There's a lot of players that weren't there last year. So the slow start of being the season was kind of given because he's playing with a bunch of new people that he doesn't know yet. Mm-hmm. And you can, yeah, you can say like, oh, he had all summer to prepare. You don't really get to know people in three months. Like you need to start seeing them in actual game time. The chemistry that yeah, they play with one another. Exactly that too. So that's kind of my stance on the slow start for the Spurs. But I kind of disagree. Um, I think I feel like a lot, a big part of being a coach in the NBA is knowing your players, knowing your roster, and how to how to use that to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, Popovich, I think, is still the best coach in the NBA, but coaches like Doc Rivers, Rick Carlisle, Eric Spolstra, mm-hmm. um, I still think they need deserve a lot of credit. Spolstra and Carlisle missed the playoffs this year, but, I mean, you can't make the playoffs every year. Mm-hmm. Um, unless he, you're Popovich. Unless you're Popovich, <laughs> yeah. But um, the Heat's roster was pretty pitiful. The Mavericks – Aging Dirk, it was kind of just a swan song for him at the end. Yeah, it was basically so, just a wash for the season for the yeah. Mavericks. But, I mean, you go with the Clippers. Like, they trade away uh, Boban and Tobias Harris at the deadline, and they're basically left with, I mean, I mean, a bunch of role players, mm-hmm. if you really wouldn't. There's no really true star, if unless you want to count Lou Williams off the bench. He's um, sick. He's disgusting. He's really good. <laughs> um, all credit to him. 36 in that second game. Off the bench. Off the bench, <laughs> which is even crazier. But um, – the Clippers, they play with so much heart. They play with so much tenacity. Doc Rivers knows how to use everybody on that roster to his advantage to get them prepared. And, I mean, they beat the Warriors in one game, and no, I bet nobody had that. And, like, I mean, analyst-wise. Yeah. A lot I, of people didn't even have that. I respect Doc Rivers a lot, but the problem I have with Doc Rivers is his lack of success when he has superstars on his team. And the Clippers had their own version of a big three. It may not have translated as well to this new NBA age that we're living in, but he had the talent to at least make a Western Conference Finals, and he didn't. And that's kind of my thing is that this year I think they rallied around the fact that everyone was counting them out, whereas in past years it was always expectations were set very high. And for whatever reason, Doc Rivers' teams didn't respond to that. And I'm not saying it's his fault, but I'm saying Popovich has never had an issue with players responding to the way that he coaches whether he adapts to shooting more threes or not. 
Um, the reason that I say that he's the last true coach in the NBA is because he has a game plan and he executes the game plan every, every game. And I don't know that there's anyone that would be able to have the same success with this roster that he did in the league. I don't know. I don't think Brad Stevens would be able to do it. I don't think Doc Rivers would be able to do it. I don't know as much about Spolster and the way that he coaches. I think he did a great job with what the heat had this year, but they were still, you know, below 500. So I, I don't know how that translates. And it also hurts when your, your quote unquote star and Dion waiters was out yeah. for a lot of the season. But Dion Waiters is also a walking shot taker. Yeah, you know he, he's just—I I was going to say walking bucket, but he's not. No. Um, <laughs> outside of that, uh, that Rising Stars game against Tim Hardaway, where it was trading buckets, where it was just unbelievable. That was the best game Dion Waiters has had in his life. Oh yeah. Um, and he's a lot of fun to watch, but he's not the player that you would really go to. So I understand Spolster's kind of got an asterisk. Carlisle had didn't have a lot on his team this year. Luca was great, but otherwise. It's a work in progress. So we'll leave those two out of the conversation for now. We'll focus on Brad Stevens, who's yeah. considered the second best coach in the NBA. I forgot about Brad Stevens. Um, and, and Doc Rivers. And Brad Stevens struggled a lot with all-stars on his team and future all-stars on his team. Yeah. I think Jalen Brown could be an all-star eventually. Not yeah. perennial, but an all-star. When he gets him, when he gets the minutes, um, or, I mean, he's, get, he's getting minutes, but he's not getting the ball as much as mm-hmm. I think he needs to be an all-star at this point. Um you said Rivers kind of struggles when he has stars on his team in mm-hmm. the finals. I mean, he did go to a finals and win with the Celtics. Yeah, but it's with but, the. But I'm saying like, yeah, that with, was with a different point in time. Yeah, is and I mean, he also only won that one. He went to the second finals in 2010. Yeah, but then after that, it was a wash. It yeah. was over. Um, um, that you can blame that on aging superstars. You can blame that on you know chemistry. Rondo was there, and that was somewhat of an issue. Ray Allen leaving and going to the Heat was an issue. Yeah, so he did lose some pieces when he was in in Boston and I just think I'm going to stick with his tenure with the Clippers just because it's been as long or longer than his tenure with yeah. Boston. So that's really what his career I think is going to be judged on rather than those couple years in Boston, which were great. And he, he was a great, he is a great coach. I'm not saying that he's not, but I think Popovich's ability to make players adapt to his system and really mold players in a way that not a lot of other people can do is something that's very unique. Um, so that's just, that's, that was my hot take. And I was thinking about it on the train, uh, one of the days this week. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to bring it up. Um, yeah. I mean, the one thing, one, uh, one asterisk you can put on doc rivers in, uh, Los Angeles, he had a lot of injuries between Blake Griffin and Chris Paul in his, in the years they were there. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Paul tore his shoulder that one year, missed most of the season. Blake Griffin got hurt right before the playoffs that one year against the, um, Blazers. And then. I think Chris Paul got hurt in the series, or one of them was already hurt, and mm-hmm. the other one got hurt, and they got swept. Mm-hmm. And they were the four seed, I think, or the five seed. Yeah. Um, so that's one asterisk you can put on um, mm-hmm. in Doc Rivers' case. I mean, Kawhi didn't play last year for Pop, though. Yeah, I mean, but like... And he had aging superstars in Duncan, Manu, and, and Tony Parker, and had superstar Kawhi. Duncan was already retired. Oh, oh wait, you're talking about... For the years, years be- yeah, a couple years before that, and they still were a one or two seed, right. which was... Or two or three seed, which yeah. is ridiculous. Um, my last thing is, I feel like there's a difference between a true head coach and a special head coach. Okay. Like so, Doc Rivers, Brad Stevens, Spolstra, Carlisle—they're mm-hmm. true head coaches. But like Popovich, is, like is he's a once special. in a generation. Yeah, kind it's of like guy. Belichick in the NFL. Gotcha. Like people, like Belichick gets people to play for him. Mm-hmm. Like no other coach in the NFL can. Yep. So like 
saying that there's no other true NFL head coach in that aspect. Okay, I see what you're saying. Like, I think that's a better so, classification. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um. So we're gonna get into the ESPN top 100 famous athletes, world famous athletes uh, list that came out just this week and or two weeks ago, I think. Right. Um, so that's an interesting thing. I know you had some, some stuff right off the bat for that. Yeah, I do. Um, so when I was scrolling through it, I was like, Oh, I wonder like who's here. Who's not Carson Wentz at 89 blew my mind because one, he was on there. Nick Foles wasn't, which really, I feel like Nick Foles would be, I like, I know, (laughs) but like, I know that Carson Wentz is the franchise quarterback in Philly, but I feel like Nick Foles after that Super Bowl run, after the playoff run last year, I feel like he'd be a bigger name than Carson Wentz would be. Can I be and, honest with you? I don't think Carson Wentz should be on this list at all. I don't think he. I don't think he should be. A, I don't. Think, I'm a huge Eagles fan. I don't think he should. It doesn't be make any sense to me. He was on the list before Gronk too. The yeah, order, that, that ESPN needs to <laughs> revise this list because it really doesn't make sense. The order of the NFL players that were in the top 100 goes: Brady, OBJ, Colin Kaepernick, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Carson Wentz, and Gronk. Okay, Gronk should be definitely higher than Gronk should be higher, and I think, but I think the rest of it's pretty good. I think that's probably fair. Yeah, yeah I know Kaepernick. Kaepernick was like fifty-seven, or he was mm-hmm. in the fifties, and people would probably be like, "Whoa, like why is he even on here? He's not technically an athlete anymore." I mean, he is well, a free I, agent. I he hasn't know. retired, and that the, his his political stance is enough for him to get world fame. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's interesting. Sean White at twenty-four mm-hmm. is uh, is pretty cool. It adds up. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, just because the Olympics and everything, right. but what really you know we talked about this a little bit before we we started recording, but Bryce Harper at ninety nine, and Carson Wentz at eighty something bugs me because <laughs> I don't even like Bryce Harper that much. I, I think he's an unbelievable player, but I just don't I, don't. I don't know. I don't think he's that famous, mm-hmm. but he's more famous than fucking Carson Wentz. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> So it depends on like what sport you see as more of a globally known and globally baseball sport. baseball. <laughs> I mean, like I they play in one game in Mexico and one game in London. But the problem with the problem with um, oh, they play, the football plays a lot more in London now. Okay, they play like, well, this season. They have like yeah. four games in London. Yeah. But so how many people really care in London? I feel like a lot. Of they usually sell out. How many times has Carson Wentz played in London? Once. Oh. Yeah, once. Mm, yeah. I, I, was, I was trying to think if he actually played the game. Like, I was trying to figure out if he was hurt enough for that game. But um, it's just, it just goes to show how much the MLB needs to really start marketing their players better. Mm-hmm. Um, Bryce Harper, even like this is why it's world fame and not like world talent, because Bryce yeah. Harper may not be, be the best player in the MLB, but from a fame standpoint and from like just a marketability standpoint, mm-hmm. he's do- the top MLB player. But Mike Trout, one of the top players in the league, should be – more well known than Mike uh, than Bryce Harper in my opinion. Yeah, I mean Mike Trout's the best player. In the yeah, NBA. Mookie Betts, another one that should be on here. Um, uh, I think Mookie Betts should be on. If Bryce Harper's on here, Mookie Betts should be on here. I don't know. I think it's more of like a cumulative list. What bugs me is Ninja at forty one. The guy who plays video games e-sports. is not an athlete. E-sports. He is not an athlete. Esports. He's not an athlete. Esports. Put him up against literally any person. There's people on this list that could probably compete not beat him in video games but compete with him in video games i mean and he can't even come close to competing with but, them in real athletics i'm but, sorry it's bullshit it's not a sport it's not a sport it's not a sport it's not a sport but it's not a sport it's not a sport it's dumb it's not right. a sport but it's a lot easier to um i feel like there's more 
How it's based on searches. He yeah. was the number one searched person on the list. Okay. This is what I was trying to say. There's a lot more athleticism and um, athleticism that goes into playing sports. You can get a, like, you can get lucky in, in video games. Interesting. You have to be an athlete to play athletics. But like yeah, you can like huh. you can get lucky to compete with them in a video game. You can like especially like say say Fortnite. Like you can get I, I don't really play Fortnite, but you can probably get lucky and find a way to kill him. Even though yeah, he's maybe one once yeah, like that's what I'm saying. Like you can compete. It's easier to compete. Yeah, like but when I say compete, like I mean like not necessarily play like neck and neck, but I know I mean Josh Hart isn't on this list, but there's players that play a lot of video games that I'm sure could compete mm-hmm. with Ninja. Not that they would win, not that even it would even be that close, but they could give him some sort of a run where he's like, Oh wow, you're actually like really good at those. And then you put him on an NBA court or a soccer pitch or the ice or the field for football. Oh, I feel like that's unfair. How? He's not an athlete. But like we're not it's a sport. Like esports is considered a sport. Yeah, but it shouldn't be. Is my point. I think it should be. How? It's com- like it's a competitive sport. So is chess. Sport. <laughs> no. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Is poker a sport? No. <laughs> I think it's a sport. I think you're dumb. <laughs> What's this mean? Com- like anything can be competitive. I could say, hey, I can break this stick better than you. Sport. you know what i I mean like i still think esports should be considered like i still think it should be considered a sport all right well we'll agree to disagree on that one i think we're (laughs) We're not gonna gonna solve this one in uh, in our time frame we could have a separate podcast dedicated (laughs) to sport or not a sport and uh we'll go over that but you know for the most part i think it makes sense there's a lot of soccer players Mm -hmm. or football (laughs) <laughs> um, and uh, that kind of adds up. There's a couple cricket players, yeah, which which makes sense. Yeah. It's it's one of the world's biggest sports. It's um, uh, you know, I, I think for the most part it makes sense. Uh, I th- I would think Aaron Rodgers would be higher than Russell Wilson. Yeah. Oh, I forgot Wilson. It's only yeah. like you, you know five spots difference. Mm-hmm. It's 77 and 82. But I I think people more people know Aaron Rodgers because he's you know, considered the second best quarterback, or he was, I don't know about this year. Pat Mahomes kind of overtook yeah. him a little bit, but, uh, he'll be on the list next year. Dwight sure. Howard at 84. That surprised me. So I actually <laughs> had that written down. So like the, my other surprises were Dwight Howard at 84. E.G. and Leanne at 86. <laughs> Mello at 65. No, that makes sense. I don't know about that. Like that surprised. He's won four gold medals. I mean, that's fair. But like, and that's, a bronze. that still surprised me. Um, Dame Lillard's on the list, which mm-hmm. we talked about earlier. He's finally getting the credibility he deserves. It's yep. nice to see that. Um, one thing that also kind of bugged me that was that Serena Williams was 17 mm-hmm. and Federer and Nadal were 6 and 8. Like, I know, I know. like um, I think it's because they're international. Yeah. That might be the only reason. But look, Serena Williams play, is playing internationally all the time. I agree with you. I think Serena Williams should be probably she, top 10. Yeah. She, and she's she's like, probably one of the most famous she, athletes in the world. She's so good at her sport. Women's like it's it's just like a problem with women's sports being marketed not as highly as yeah. men's sports. Was Diana Taurasi on this list at all? I don't think there's any WNBA players. That's insane. Well, and that's a another I mean, problem. But I think that's also a league problem. That's the WNBA's issue is that yeah. they don't market. I mean, it's tough it's, when when not a lot of people pay attention. It's tough when not a lot of people pay attention. They're not making as much money and revenue because not a lot of people are making attention. You can only do so much. Like, yeah. So they have a lot of the same sponsors on their jerseys as NBA teams, mm-hmm. but they're still getting paid like twenty thousand. They have to play overseas, yeah. which is like, an issue because Brianna Stewart, Stewart just tore. I, like, we're, we're on the same wavelength. <laughs> I had that written down too. Like, she tore her Achilles playing overseas because yep. she needed more money. She exactly. needed to make more money, and 
I didn't even know that was a thing until like recently because I saw Skylar Diggins plays overseas as well. Yeah. And I was like, why the hell she's playing overseas? Like mm-hmm. she's sick. She's yeah. playing in the WNBA, but they not connecting make- the dots. Like right. they don't make enough money to only play half the year. Yeah. It's, so that's a real really problem. Um, especially when the greatest player in the sport isn't on the list. Yeah. I, I mean, I think like Diana Taurasi is literally the goat of, yeah. of, of WNBA. Um, and probably one of the best basketball players, period, that we've we've seen, you know, men or women. But like, what's what's this? What's the solution here? So I I don't know. I think bringing awareness to it is big. I think mm-hmm. having the conversation um, about women's athletics and how you know it should be more popular because I think you know, listen, it's it's easy for me to say I'm you know a white I'm a white male having this opinion. So I have, yeah. you know, my privilege or whatever, right, right, right. but you know, I think it's a problem that people are just, the system is geared toward away from women's sports. Yeah. Um, with the exception of certain things. I mean, I think Serena Williams being at 17 is great. It's a, it's a huge, step. she should be higher. She should be higher. Um, but at the same time, you have to take it for what it is and say, listen, she could not be on the list. You know, I mean, there's that's a very real possibility. Diana Taurasi, like Serena Williams is the best women's tennis player and probably might be the best tennis player, at least of our generation, yeah. up there with Nadal and Federer. And you're talking about just like from a championship standpoint. Yeah, up there. exactly. And just a domination standpoint. So, I mean, I just – and I think that she, at least in terms of coverage, she does get the coverage that a lot of male athletes get. The problem is also that she plays tennis. So – I know I personally have probably can count on one hand the amount of tennis matches I've watched in my life and probably on fewer fingers. The and, and most of those might actually be Serena Williams <laughs> yeah. because there's always been something going on. And I had never sat down and watched a whole tennis match no, in my entire life. Can't waste three hours. Sorry. <laughs> and I said that about golf for a long time and I finally sat down and watched some golf and it's fun. But Baseball? Baseball is different because I've actively participated in baseball and I know the rules. I know I can, I, I know the ins and outs and the little nuances. I don't know that about tennis. Yeah. I so I can't that. appreciate it as well. And it's the same thing as a casual MLB fan thinking that baseball is boring because without the nuance and without it seeing it in person, which is a whole different experience for almost every sport, mm-hmm. but specifically baseball and some of the slower athletic sports, um, you know, it's, it's tougher to get a grasp on. But people really show up for for tennis matches, so it, I don't know. I don't know that there is a solution. Yeah. That at least I don't. I know that I don't have the solution. Right. And I don't. I know that a lot of people smarter than me also don't have the solution and are trying to find one, but mm-hmm. I don't know that there will be one found. So I know for tennis, at least, um, tennis is definitely a more internationally known sport than baseball and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that's why they probably they probably have a heap better bigger following. Yeah. From that standpoint. Um. And like you said, the solution, it's its an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. For the WNBA in particular, I don't know if this would work. I think it might. NBA teams and NBA players mm-hmm. should start to try to take use their social media platforms yep. and try to promote the WNBA through that. Especially so like, say like um, the Knicks. They should yep. start promoting the Liberty. Yeah. It's the same city. Mm-hmm. Start promoting them a little bit more. See if that helps them get a bigger following. I think that would be great, yeah. Work it, work it through that. I think because the NBA has such a huge following, as you can see with the list, they have – yeah, uber amount of people. LeBron's number two, KD's top ten. I think Steph's five. Or, yeah, Steph's nine and KD's eleven. Yeah, so like they're all right there, mm-hmm. and there's plenty more on the list. We talked about Dwight Howard, Melo, Dame, um, Clay Thompson's on there. Yeah, so uh, so the Chris thing for Paul's me, on there. 
Yeah, so like Dwight Howard being on the list and Diana Taurasi not being on the list, even if she was 100, which I think is still bullshit, Yeah, but based on her talent and her accomplishments, she should be higher than a lot of people. And, I mean, listen, to be fair to the list itself, Serena at 17, she has Khabib ahead of her. Makes yeah. sense. that The Conor fight was huge for them. Conor they have five. Conor McGregor up yeah. there. Um, Mbappe uh, for Barcelona soccer uh, he plays soccer yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> i was just gonna say france but like yeah uh, he had a huge world cup run yeah exactly so you know pogba people that even i know and i don't follow soccer tiger woods kd steph nadal federer mcgregor neymar messi lebron cristiano ronaldo and some cricket player there's two cricket players ahead of her who and listen we're looking at this the lens of americans mm-hmm. so we don't follow cricket you know, we don't really necessarily follow soccer. Right. We follow the big soccer players. Or if you're into soccer and you've played soccer or you have, like, that desire to follow soccer, you you can. But it's just not the biggest sport in America. So for us, it's like, well, why isn't Serena on this list higher? Because yeah. we see her all the time because we're in America. So right. they, it's always on ESPN. Yep. Um, you know, she's she's always being broadcast over ESPN. And I think that's part of the problem with our perception of the list is that we have a specific lens from the view of one country rather than the world. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was trying to like remember when I was looking at the list and seeing Bryce Harper is the only baseball player, Mm -hmm. Serena Williams, where she is. But um, yeah, it's a really good point. So, I mean, I don't know. I would like, I would like to see her be higher. Um, I just don't know who do you like, aside from, Listen, if we were making our list, I think the cricket players would be off. Yeah, for sure. But that's for, for you and I. Yeah. Um, I think other than that, I don't know who you can really take like lower. Maybe the, the one the person ahead of her is Antoine Griezmann, uh, who's a soccer player from France. And I don't know that name at all. And I listen, like I said, I don't follow soccer, but I know generally the bigger names because they're broadcast all over the different sports, you know, outlets. So I would say I would move her up to 16 at least. And then, you know, take out those two cricket players, move her up another two spots, 14. But I don't know that I can put her above, you know, Conor McGregor. I don't think she's as, I don't think she's more famous than Conor McGregor. No, I don't think she's more famous than LeBron worldwide. I don't think she's more famous than Ronaldo. A lot of the soccer players, Messi, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's there's certain people where it's like, I can't put Serena above them, not because she's a women's tennis player, but because they just have the following that is uncompromised or like uncomparable. Yeah. I mean, my only problem with her being that low was that Federer and Nadal were higher. Yeah. So I feel like they should all be around the same spot. I agree. Like, I don't think Nadal and Federer should be six and eight. I don't know which mm-hmm. one's six, which one's eight, but um and her 17 if she's 17 they should be like around 15 to 20 or if they're yeah. six and eight she should be around top 10 that's yeah. my only thing i agree with you and i, agree I feel with like that, for sure. that may be like a tennis marketability thing there might be marketing um mm-hmm. nadal and federer more it also might be like what you said like from an international standpoint the more international players from spain mm-hmm. and federer's from federer's UK? from portugal no i think it's uk Switzerland, Switzerland. All right, he's from he's from Europe. Yep. So that might, that that helps his case over there too. Yeah, and I think also Nadal and Federer having that you know all time famous rivalry. Yeah. And coming up against one another, 
so many times in championships boosts their level of, you know, noticeability. Marketability too, yeah. Yeah, marketability for yeah. sure. And I mean, Serena had her sister who's Venus, which was, a, you know, some sort of a rivalry when they would play each other every now and mm-hmm. then. Sharapova was big for her. For a while. But and she just, she's she's a lower down on the list. She's in the, the 70s or the 80s, yeah. I think. Um, but she just started. But I think it's also fair. Yeah. You know, I mean, Serena's really the only... Aside from Sharapova, at least at least in my mind, Serena and Venus and Sharapova are the three tennis female tennis players that I recognize, and everyone else is. I might hear a name and say that sounds familiar. Where did I hear that? Yeah. And it's because they beat Serena Williams that one time. <laughs> that one time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can completely agree with that. I'm trying to think of a couple other women's tennis players, but I'm kind of drawing a blank at the moment. But yeah, from like what you were saying, Nadal and Federer always had like that back and forth, like and it was one so open big. after the other. Yeah, I mean, and like you said, Serena and Venus was a huge one back when Venus was younger. When they were both yep. younger, they were more dominant. Venus has kind of taken a step back. Yep. Recently, Serena continues to dominate. Yeah, and her dominating her competition like she is, like I feel like that helps. Like I, that sets her back a little bit from a world. Um, like a, from a world known standpoint, like mm-hmm. popularity standpoint, just because um, having that rivalry just boost your um, popularity. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, do you have any other thoughts on on the list itself? Or, I mean, like I said, Melo at sixty five. I know you said he won a couple medals, but that is crazy. But it was it was Olympic medals. It wasn't just you know. Yeah, and also he was one of the biggest stars in the sport. He was never probably a top three player in the NBA, but he was just one of those guys that's recognizable for for who he is. Yeah. Um, and I mean, sixty five isn't that high. But he was before Chris Paul. He was. Before, He's a bigger name than Chris Paul worldwide. Yeah, probably worldwide. It all, the the fall he's taken in this past year probably helped his case a little bit too. Yeah, because his 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 fall off a cliff just is unmatchable. <laughs> really. He went from one of the top players in the league to just mm-hmm. fucking laughing stock, really. He yeah. sh- I feel he should have been on a roster this year. I feel like that's a little fucked up. Like um, Stephen Jackson was on record saying that he got blackballed or blacklisted. Black- black- he blackballed, yeah. Blackballed. And um, I kind of agree with that a little bit. You mm-hmm. can't tell me like a team like – I know you're trying to tank. but or like <laughs> If like, you're trying to tank, put Melo on the floor for 40 <laughs> minutes a game. That's all I'm saying. Um, I mean, yeah. But even like a like – a, the problem like a, is that he's stubborn and he doesn't want to come off the bench. He didn't but want to come off the bench. Player. He is a bench player at this point, and he wouldn't change his role where he had to have the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. If he could just be a spot-up shooter for a team, a team that was in playoff contention would have like Vince Carter. Roster. Yeah. Vince Carter lost a lot of athleticism. Still should be in the dunk contest. Get him in the dunk contest 2020. I swear it'll be great. Even just even if he doesn't compete, just get him. let him open it up. Anyway. But he did the same kind of thing where he's now – you know, he'll pull out a little bounce every now and then. But for the most part, he's going to roam around the perimeter, be a veteran, be a leader on that on the teams that he, he's on. And, uh, you know, I my prediction for Vince Carter is we see him on the Raptors next year as his final go-around. That'd be sick. But Melo, I think, should kind of swallow his pride a little bit and say, I need to go somewhere where they understand who I am. I understand who I am. But... I need to swallow my pride. They need to accept who I am. And if you can do that with find that with a team, what if he went to the Nuggets game off the bench? I mean, that's easier for us to say sitting here saying, oh, just swallow your pride and just um, play for a team. Like, mm-hmm. you, you need a job. 
when you're when well, you're, I mean, he doesn't though. Like, yeah, he doesn't that's what I'm saying. Lucky. That's what I'm saying. So like, but it'd be nice to have that ring. <laughs> in his case, though, like he's already done so much for the sport. He's already shown like what he is. He might. I think he's a Hall of Famer already. Yeah, probably. I mean, he doesn't have the playoff. He doesn't um, have the success. Success, yeah. Like on the on the big stage. Yeah, but but he also hasn't had the the teams really. He produced so well, yeah. even like his first few years on the Knicks. Like he really did produce. Yeah, and swallowing your pride when you were like that, and when you're such a competitor like Melo is, or like anybody in that, and like when you get to that level, you don't want to swallow your pride. You don't want to yeah. be like, all right, maybe like I'm not. You like you have to have that kind of bigger ego to be like I'm better than people. Yeah. So like that it I it just boosts him a little bit. I mean, if there was one reason to put him higher, it's because of his interview after the Knicks had like a it was money was on the Knicks. They had a tough fought game. It's my favorite quote in sports ever. That's not like inspirational, but kind of inspirational was when he was doing a post game interview. It was a tough fought win. He really took over and the reporter, I forget who it was on MSG, but she asked him, you know, Mello how do you think this is going to translate to tomorrow night's game? And he goes, we have another game tomorrow. Shit. (laughs) And like started laughing. (laughs) And I was like, Oh man, this man's great. Like as much of a problem as I had with Mello in New York and I did. And that's why I I can't, you know, pretend like he's great because I've been too publicly against the way that he played in New York. Mm -hmm. He seems like a good guy. He's a great player. I just didn't like the way he played in New York, especially towards the end. But you know, yeah, the system respect really, to Mello. The system really didn't fit him, mm-hmm. like towards the end of his uh, stay in, in New York. So moving on into baseball, um, gonna start off with Kershaw. He made his debut last week against the Reds, gave up two over seven. Um, but his velocity is down. Week took him yard. I gotta ask you, you're a big Kershaw fan. My favorite pitcher. Pit, My favorite, favorite player. Favorite player of all time? Uh he's up there, yeah, yeah. for sure. Tom Glavin's number one. Are you worried about him? Um, no. Yes and no. I, I think any time a pitcher's velocity falls, much like in the case of Sale, who we're getting, we'll get into after this, um, things tend to change, especially if someone who was somewhat of a power pitcher. You know, he threw 95, 96 for a while. He was never throwing 100, but right. he was throwing hard. And uh, I think what he benefits from is that he does have those secondary pitches that he can result resort to when his fastball isn't necessarily clocking in at 94, 95, and he's sitting more 91, 92, 93. You know, I, I think the injury bug more concerns me than the velocity. So that's where I'm at. I, I'm worried from a health standpoint. Mm-hmm. I know you're big on LeBron and wanted the Lakers to trade him because he's well, an aging superstar. I, I don't want them to trade LeBron. But they should I understand the reasoning yeah. behind it if they do. So, like, the aging superstar giving a player that big of a contract mm-hmm. when he's getting later in his career. It's kind of the same case for Kershaw. Yep. Kershaw's getting later in his career. You can see his velocity start to drop. He hasn't been able to stay healthy lately. He hasn't bro- broken 180 innings pitch since 2015. Mm-hmm. I know, like, that's pitchers aren't starting pitchers aren't going 200-plus innings mm-hmm. every year. But they really don't have the bullpen in Los Angeles. Yeah, to eat innings. You can't have Joe Kelly, Pedro Baez, and Kenley Jansen mm-hmm. really go out there and be the seven, eight, nine guy every single night. Yeah. So you need Kershaw to go seven, eight, those some nights. Mm-hmm. Um in my opinion, I'm not panicking on him being a very good pitcher. Mm-hmm. I'm panicking on him being as locked down as he has been in years past. Yeah. And I feel like the Dodgers can't 
just hope that he does what he's been doing for years, like this year mm-hmm. and for the years to come. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's going to be tough for the Dodgers to not rely on him as heavily, but they also have a stud in Walker Bueller. They still have, you know, some pitchers towards the back end of that rotation that are okay. Um, Kenley Jansen and the bullpen is really it. That's, that's really a big concern for them. Um, but the thing is like, I, I know I listened to the starting nine part podcast with Dallas Braden and, uh, and Jared Carabas from, from Barstool, but Dallas Braden was saying, you know, watch out for that lower back because of his motion. And I think that's a fair criticism. You know, um, I emulated Kershaw when I was playing and it definitely I didn't notice the effects of it as much, but I definitely didn't have a great, like super healthy back. <laughs> um, as anyone who knows me would know that I'm, I'm a self-proclaimed 90 year old man uh, in terms of how my joints feel. <laughs> um, and uh, I know your spine's not a joint, but fuck off medical people. All right. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think that was a good, great analysis from Braden. Um, and uh you know, I, I just I think the health is going to be a big thing. But just two years ago, he won 18 games. Yeah. And his velocity was down that season, too. He still had a 2.31 ERA. Twice in his career, he's had a sub-2 ERA. He had a 1.83 in 2013 and a 1.69 in 2016. And those aren't that far away. He's still only 31. He's towards the tail end of his prime, for sure. But I personally, I think he's in the conversation for the best pitcher of all time, regardless of win-loss record. And... I don't know. I, I think he has all he has the dedication to adapt to his new surroundings, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. He's a chameleon on the mound. He is. I mean, I think he's gonna go down as one of the best pitchers in MLB history. Um, I'm not really worried about that. Like you said, he won eighteen games a couple years ago. I still think he'll win fifteen to twenty games. I just don't and like you said, they have Walker Bueller. I think they're gonna have to start motioning to Walker Bueller as that I would be fine as with that, that guy. And they should, yeah. Um but the back end of the bullpen, or rotation, I should say, Rich Hill's already hurt. Ryu's already hurt. They're both getting played by the But they're also the perennial here. injury people. Yeah, but like you can't have Kershaw being that perennial injury I agree. Person that's, too. True. that's true. So you need him to stay healthy and mm-hmm. still give you around 160, 180 innings at least. Yeah. So, and like you said, he's 31. Those innings start to add up, especially yeah. when he was throwing over 200 for the most, like the chunk of his 20s. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be. Interesting to see not only this year but for the years to come how Kershaw is um, pitching that much. Yeah, I, I agree. I think where that's going to really where where you remedy that is by fixing the bullpen. Craig Kimbrell sitting on the market Still out there. Bro. I, I don't understand it. There's so many teams that have such bad bullpens: the Braves, the Mets, the Padres, the Dodgers, the Mariners, everyone. And it's just I understand kind of why because his expectations were so unrealistic that I feel like he can't back down now I think he can take less next year but I think taking less this year would be a huge ego boost or ego uh hit it's like what we're talking with Melo yeah so but the difference is is that Craig Kimbrell was one of the best closers in baseball last year Mm -hmm. if not the best closer in baseball outside of Edwin Diaz right and and Josh Hader Mm -hmm. um so I mean top three interchangeably with all those guys. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think some team has to try to snatch him up. And I know there's a draft pick attached to 
that signing that they could lose a draft pick. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Doesn't matter if you're if you want to be a competitor, you have to make the tough decisions. And a tough decision in baseball isn't losing a draft pick. Right. It's not. No. Because ninety nine percent of the time, those draft picks don't pan out. Probably less than that. That's probably an exaggeration of the yep. number. But it's not a high number of picks that really become superstars. So let's say you miss out on that one potential superstar that gets hurt in Double A, mm-hmm. but you also get Craig Kimbrell for three years in, at the back end of your bullpen, whether it's your setup man or your closer. Because I, in the Mets' case, at least, they have their closer in Diaz. Imagine a setup. They're not of, using much, though. Well, they're only using him with for three outs in the ninth inning, or three outs at the end of the game, which I think is fine. They, they had the issue with Familia where they overworked him, and now he is what he is. Mm-hmm. I would be fine with having Familia as like a middle, not middle inning, but Kind of like the Yankees had with Batances, right. where if you can find that sweet spot for Familia and have Kimbrel eighth, Edwin Diaz ninth, or Kimbrel for a four-out save, why not do it? I don't know why any of these teams wouldn't do that. You can get one of the best pitchers in baseball, still throwing 100 miles an hour. Has his ups and downs with locating it, but... Who doesn't? Exactly. If you're throwing that hard, it's hard, It's tough to control sometimes. Yeah. And I just I think there's really no downside if you're if you want to con- compete in this league. Yeah, I mean he wanted what six years, hundred plus at the beginning of the yeah. That's season. bullshit. I'm not giving you don't give a pitcher that much money who's only a situational guy. Yeah, and now he's now he's looking for more of like Wade Davis, like 58 million over three years kind of range, which I think is more reasonable. More reasonable. But that would have been a lot more reasonable to the start getting a free agency. Yep. So now that they're already in the season. They're not going to be as willing to. He would have been signed if he would have started with that. Oh, for sure. Any and team. Then, the Red Sox would have snapped him back up. <laughs> and look at what happened to them. Yeah. So they could really use it. But um, you said the Mariners. I know that was you were just going through teams. Yeah. I think the Mariners should hold off on signing anybody. Yeah, they're not going to. They should anything. really like buckle down on the rebuild. I know they got off to a hot start. Yeah. That's and they're tough, looking though. good. Mm-hmm. But if they go out and like say they say they like at the deadline, they're like, all right, let's let's start. Um, selling or let's start buying mm-hmm. and they have to trade away the prospects they just got back for Edwin Diaz and James Paxton. Mm-hmm. It's going to be tough to rebuild that again. And their farm system is horrendous. After yeah. Like the people they got back. I mean, I don't think they should trade people like Jared Kalenic who they got back from the Mets, who's supposedly a surefire star. Mm-hmm. I just think that if you have the opportunity to get someone who can make you better now, and if you can be successful now, it'll make you more successful for the future mm-hmm. without, as long as you don't get rid of those pieces. Because if you set up a culture of winning, especially in a smaller market like Seattle, it'll j- attract free agents. Um, and also, it'll that culture trickles down. So if you win on the major league level, it's going to trickle down to your farm system where it's like, I want to get there. I want to work harder. I want to get above all the people around me. And then those people say, I want to work harder than him. And it's, it's, I think it's a great thing to do. I mean, I was kind of just listing teams off because it, literally 30 teams in the MLB could use Craig Kimbrell. And, and Dallas it, Keuchel. Yeah, and, it, and Dallas Keuchel as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I could, speaking of Keuchel, I could see Kershaw becoming more of that type of type of pitcher. And, like, yeah, he's already been transitioning to that. He's been using his curveball and slider and change, yep. like, he's off-speed more, which is good to see that he's learning to, like, it's like CeCe. Like, yep. CeCe, when he didn't wasn't able to throw as hard as he usually did, he found ways to locate it. He found ways to use other things to throw off hitters. For sure. And it hasn't worked out to like – I mean, CC, he kind of fell off from where he was when he was on the Indians, mm-hmm. the Brewers in the beginning of the Yankees. But he's still a good pitcher. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, I mean, we, we just mentioned the Red Sox. Is it time to press the panic button on Chris Sale? 
I mean, I don't know. How do you not? I don't know. Whether the velocity is up or down, he's getting shelled. Yeah. He's your number one guy who you just gave a huge contract to. I think if you're a Red Sox fan or in the Red Sox organization, you're sitting there biting your nails right now. It's still so early in the season, though. Like We're not even out of April. It is, but when was the last time we saw someone who was a Cy Young candidate like this come out and have this bad a start? It's one thing to have like a mediocre start to start the year, shake off some of the rust. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to have an almost 10 ERA. Yeah. For a guy who's averaged like – a 2.4 ERA, you know, give or take. So I, I personally, I thought this was going to be an albatross of a contract for them in the first place. Mm. Not quite Chris Davis, right? Cause nothing is that bad <laughs> except for Bobby Bonilla's. Um, but I, I think it's going to be something that they're going to regret. I think it's a lot of money to commit to someone who might be on the down, the downswing. Yeah. I mean, long-term they might regret it. I'd like to see Chris Sale turn it around. I think he will sometime this season figure it out and come back. Maybe not all the way down to like two, four, two, five, mm-hmm. but I feel like he'll be high twos, low threes. Which I mean, if you're the Red Sox and your offense is producing the way your offense should be producing, mm-hmm. a low two high or high two low three is going to be fine as an ERA for a starting pitcher. And what I know about a high nines. Is that I mean, that's, I mean <laughs> that's not too great. I don't think it's going to be sustainable. He's not going to keep doing yeah, it. I think but. he'll figure it out. You know, his so listen, his first three starts, he was sitting around, you know, 92, 93 in the first one, dropped down to his average velocity of 90, according to fan graphs. Um, brought it back up to about 90, 91, 92, somewhere between there for his third start. And then he was back up to 97, this last start against the Yankees. And he got hit around in that one, too. Yeah. And granted, the Yankee Stadium is a little league park, but that's what you have to deal with when you're in the AL East. Yeah. So if you don't, if you can't navigate pitching there, that's going to be a problem. You oh, yeah, play these yeah. teams so much throughout the year. 19 times, yeah. I mean, and you split home and, you know, yeah, between home sense. games yeah, and yeah. stuff. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think Red Sox fans should be should be starting to get worried. Not necessarily jamming the panic button, but that finger's inching towards it as I, you watch each ball go out of the stadium. Late, late May, early June is when I'd start to start pressing the panic button. But right now you're taking yeah. the panic button out of the drawer and putting it on the table. Yeah, it's it's like and you and you're peeking towards it every time he walks someone or has a game with less than you know six seven strikeouts. Mm-hmm. You're kind of like ah, and you're just seeing the contract out of the other side <laughs> of your eyes, and it's and just it's, like oh no. You bring the panic button a little closer every t- every exactly. time you contract. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, listen, there's it's April still. There's no yeah. reason to press the panic button on really anybody. Because you look down box scores and there's averages of 1.4 and there's averages of 460. Yeah. And eventually those are all going to come down to the median. Yeah. So I don't think it's too much to panic about now. I think Chris Sale is more close to the panic button than Kershaw is, though. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. So a little segment for you guys here. Um, we're going to call it Who Cares of the Week. Um, we're going to pick something that we saw on Twitter, we saw on social media. And people were making a big deal out of it. And, I mean, we're just going to give our point. I don't really think it's a big deal. My Who Cares of the Week is Tim Anderson. Um, he hit an absolute bomb off the Royals this past Tuesday? Wednesday? Today's Thursday. Wednesday. Tuesday. So it was Wednesday. Wednesday, yes. Yeah, so You're he hit a bomb perfect. off Wednesday. We're getting our days right. Um, and next at bat, gets plunked. Um, really did not like getting plunked. The bat flip after he hit the home run 
was the most ferocious bat flip I've ever seen in my it life. It was like Jose Bautista, but like 2.0. Yeah, and it wasn't even a playoff game, which is even crazier. Yeah, which is even worse because but Bautista shouldn't got what he deserved for that bat flip. And then I love the bat flip from Tim Anderson. As a as a hitter, though, you need to know that the first pitch is either coming at you or it's coming behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, getting annoyed that you're getting hit because you just hit that bomb is justified to an extent because you don't want to get hit, but you should know that it's coming. Yeah, so so my who cares of the week. Usually we'll have two different ones. This week we decided to make this one big who care, one who you know our who cares of the week because it was such a big story and continues to be such a big story throughout you know the sports world. And started out the season with you know Derek Dietrich uh, getting hit or getting thrown behind by Chris Archer um, after those two you know stop and stares uh, for his home runs in in Cincinnati or, or Pittsburgh wherever they were Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh yeah. and uh, you know for me I think it's overblown and people should stop caring about it because or not stop caring about it but. I think people need to get it through their minds that he didn't get hit because he hit a home run. That's not why you're getting hit. People give up home runs all the time and don't get hit when they're, when that person comes up or don't hit the person when they come up again. The reason you got hit was because you threw the bat away and stood at home plate for 30 seconds or in Derek Dietrich's case, stood at home plate and watched and stood and posed twice. The first time they didn't hit him. There's the second time that was the issue because it's like, I'm all for bat flips too. I think it's great. But I think if you do it, there should be the acceptance of the inherent risk to doing it, which is you will get hit or thrown behind or whatever. I think suspending Chris Archer for throwing behind someone, not even hitting someone, is dumb. It's It doesn't make sense. If you hit someone, suspend them. If you don't, throw them out. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Get them out of the game if you don't like it. So I understand the problem with hitting people just from a – like a risk of injury. It sucks. It sucks to get hit. I think you should try to try to throw behind them. I know it's a lot easier said than done to like get it right behind them, get it like instead of actually hitting them. I know like it's, it's tough to throw strikes. Like it's not that easy. Um, and one of the big things a lot of people had with Chris Archer being upset after Derek Dietrich did that is he's always showboating on the mound after yeah. he strikes out, which so, I don't think is right either. I think if you're going to police it like that, you have to do, you have to practice what you preach. Right. So, I mean, if you're going to, be upset at that you got to realize that like hitters gonna get upset with you mm-hmm. amir garrett actually uh pitcher for the reds tweeted about uh his take on bat flips he said my take he bat flips cool you take it to the chin and wear it but next time you face him strike him out and do whatever you got to do fist pump moonwalk cartwheel do whatever <laughs> i'm all for it both ways mm-hmm. so i mean i understand that from that like standpoint like mm-hmm. you're gonna try to get them out again they're both professionals a lot easier said than done to hit a home run or to hit a home run, a lot easier said than done to throw strikes to get somebody out. Mm-hmm. So th- the sending a message is such an unwritten rule in baseball. It's been an unwritten rule forever. Mm-hmm. The bat flips have been such a key component to making baseball more fun. Mm-hmm. While having the, the younger – youngers. The, the, the youngins. Young kid, yeah, the youngins. <laughs> young kids in our, like, of our – not even our generation anymore. Mm-hmm. Really get into the sport that's a dying sport because of how boring it is mm-hmm. to the casual fan because the game's taking yep. too long. Um. I don't know. I, I think you can't – I think you've got to just kind of let this ride out with the whole hitting people. Like yeah. You've got, you got to let it let people hit. So let me ask you a question. When we were growing up, what it, what was the first thing they taught you about sports outside of how to play the game? Sportsmanship. Exactly. Yeah. Never show – you never show up the other team. Mm-hmm. 
I understand pitchers who dance like Chris Archer does, or even, you know, Marcus Stroman came out with his own take saying, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You can do what you do. I'm not going to get upset about it. That's great. But for me, being taught as a kid that you don't show up the other team when you're winning by 30, you know, or when you're, when you beat them or when you, you know, cause that's the whole thing is that the, the hitter beat the pitcher, you hit a home run. So why does that give him the right to celebrate at home? Pitcher beats the hitter. Him celebrating like towards the hitter is different than a pitcher being excited about getting a big strikeout. Mm -hmm. If you hit a home run and you're like, yeah, let's go. Like that's different than standing at home plate and watching it and then looking at the pitcher and then running to first base. Yeah. That's a very different thing. I think bat flipping doesn't really matter as long as you don't linger. You can throw your bat however you want. I don't give a shit. But if you look at me or if you, you take your time and watch it go over the wall and then take a slow trot around the bases, I'm hitting you. Yeah. Or throwing, I, I think throwing behind people is almost worse because it always gets people angry no matter what. And they're not debilitated enough to not hit you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So if you hit someone, it's like, all right, maybe I was an asshole. If you throw it behind someone, it's like, hey, fuck you. Yeah. What are you doing? Hit me or don't hit me. Don't make me scared. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I think that sportsmanship needs to come into it a little bit. I think there needs to be some sort of agreement between hitters and pitchers, and or at least the majority, mm-hmm. where it's like, listen, if we bat flip, I want you guys to celebrate if you strike us out. That's fine. Make it a players – I mean, I don't think it's possible. Make it a players union thing. Yeah. Have some sort of like summit where position players who hit and pitchers have an agreement. Or if a pitcher hits your batter, right, for, for you know doing the whole home run thing, whatever, hit their pitcher when he comes up to the plate in the National League. Yeah. I mean, listen, why is that not an option? If it's a good point, like, why are you sending a message? Like if, so for instance, you know, sending a message when someone hits someone on your team, you hit someone on their team, hit the pitcher. It's dumb. He's the one that did it. Not the guy that plays second. He didn't even call the pitch, hit the catcher. Generally, that's where the call comes from. Mm-hmm. It's the little middle finger is the sign. Yeah. Up and in, <laughs> Like Changes are big. you know, I, yeah. I just think there's so many variables to it. And I think, it's so dumb to make a big deal out of because it's been a thing for years. Yeah. It's only a big deal now because baseball's having an image problem in terms of not knowing where its market audience is. It knows where it is, but it knows where it needs to get to. Yeah. And it's having an issue with that. So I think I think it's like to a certain extent. The benches clearing brawls help baseball. Let them fight. Yeah. Like not let them fight. Like let them fight. Let them fight. To the death or anything like okay, that. Okay. Well, we're not but saying like, kill no, someone. Or like, don't uh, like, swing the to bat. To the point of injury and stuff like that. Like, I, I get, like, having everybody come out and, like, just stand there. Like, Andrew McCutcheon had that, like, talk last year about, like, how yeah. <laughs> he, he's just sitting in right field and all of a sudden, yeah. like, there's a bench is clearing brawl and he's seeing the bullpen pitch. <laughs> by the time he gets there, everyone's getting dispersed. Like, yeah. Stuff like that. Like, no, I think it should just be a one-on-one, like, in hockey. I think mm-hmm. that would be great. I don't think it should be a one-on-one. Ovechkin put that kid on his ass because that kid deserved it. That kid got if you deserve it, you deserve to be put on your ass. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's tough. I did agree with what you were saying. With um, if you're if you're not showing up the other person, it's a lot better. Yeah, to a point where like you're not just like you're making it more about you and more about your mm-hmm. team getting fired up and trying to bring up the energy of your team. Yeah, as opposed to trying to bring down other people. Exactly. So like from that standpoint, I think you're right. Um, intent writing, is hard to tell. Yeah, but. writing down like an unwritten rule, especially this unwritten rule, mm-hmm. is I don't I don't think it's possible. Yeah, so. I my thing is if you get the message across that celebrate for you and your team. Yeah. Don't celebrate 
or don't shove it in the pitcher's face because unless or the, or the unless face. it's Chris Archer, yeah, or someone who dances and you know does the whole shows the whole thing up. Even Madison Bumgarner sometimes when he strikes someone out and he's pointing at him as they go to the dugout. It's like, like I get it why you would punt the home run. Right. Well, like when they're at the person, do it. Like, exactly. When Chris Archer's dancing, that's just him getting mm-hmm. being happy, being like um playing loose, mm-hmm. trying to get like his team's energy up. So like I don't think Chris Archer dancing is the same as like if like Chris Archer was like sitting there just staring at the guy as he walked back in the dugout. Yeah. Um and I mean I guess there is some something to be said about the intimidation factor of, you know, staring a guy down the whole thing. And that's part of the competition, but I think there's a way to do it where it's not, you know, making making light of the other person. Because the whole thing about, you know, you want to respect teams, want to respect each other, and when that respect is lost, you have issues like Rugnet Odor blasting Jose Bautista in the face. Oh yeah, which in my mind was deserved. It was a fourth inning home run. It was the playoffs, but it was a fourth inning home run. Stadium was rocking the mm-hmm. whole thing, but. Again, hit it, threw the bat like a jackass, looked at the pitcher, walked six steps towards first, and then started his jog. And it's even crazier that, like, it took a while for them to – or Rugnet Odor to retaliate with Jose Bautista. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I think it was our first meeting, mm-hmm. but still it was such, a, like, a long period of time between that home run yep. and that fight. It was the same in uh, the Giants National Series when Bryce Harper pinned a home run off one of the, the Hunter Giants. Strickland. Hunter Strickland, yeah. And Hunter, and Hunter. Bryce Harper throwing a helmet at that man was the stupidest thing ever. Was, Punch him or don't. And keep the helmet off. Why are you going to be a bitch? <laughs> I'd keep throwing the something at some? And like, he, the throw oh, he threw worse. the ball at me, so I throw my helmet at him. You missed. It wasn't even close. No, he spiked it. Yeah. Throw a punch. Yeah. <laughs> You're Bryce Harper. You're going to knock him out, but it'll be Hopefully. fun. Like... What's going to drive up interest in baseball more than Bryce Harper knocking someone out? Facts. Only guy in the ESPN world fame. The only person that would make more news is if Mike Trout knocked someone out. Yeah. Because it's so unexpected. And what a way to market Mike Trout. They just have people out there trying to fight him. It'd be the best (laughs) and worst way to market Mike Trout. That's true. It would destroy his image. Exactly. (laughs) But, like, like, it would be a great way because you'd get so much um, more popularity. Yeah, I mean – and coming back to where we started a little bit, Randall Gritchuk tweeted, and it was such a. I, I agree with what he's saying that like, you know, people are getting too kind of flippant with their with their pimping of home runs and tossing the bat. But the person that I kind of come back to is Odubel Herrera, who when he hits a home run, he bat flips, but he doesn't look at the pitcher as much. He he bat flips and then puts his head down and goes, which is fine. I think it's more exciting if you're doing crazy shit with the bat after you hit a monster home run, but. If you hit a like a squeaker over the wall, maybe don't bat flip. Like there's certain home runs that warrant it, and I'm not saying that anyone is able to put a, a finger on what that is or what warrants it, but I think we all kind of have a grasp of like a regular like everyday home run that barely gets over the outfielder's glove when he jumps to try to catch it. Doesn't really like Clint Frazier's against the Red Sox. He didn't. I don't, I don't think he bat flipped. But a lot of a lot of hitters don't bat flip those just because like you don't like you don't want to bat flip and have a hit off the wall in your yard first base. Exactly. So, so that's that's part of it where it's like oh it barely got over maybe I shouldn't like stare down the pitcher and be like yeah I got you. It's like no you hit a fly ball that just went a little further than it could have. <laughs> you know it, it, I mean certain people like Cano I think does it great. He hits it he stares at it a little bit but then he goes mm-hmm. he drops the bat immediately. It's like part of his thing. Cargo too. It's so smooth. Yeah, cargo too. You know, there's there's ways to do it and make it exciting without 
being an asshole about it. The same thing with pitching. I, I think that's really what it has to be is that it has to be recognized that pitchers do it sometimes, hitters do it sometimes. If you do it, there will be some sort of retaliation, whether it's the pitcher getting hit when he comes up to the plate or someone on his team being hit when he comes up to the plate. And as a batter, like if, if the pitcher's dancing and you actually finally get him, mm-hmm. you're going to show him up a little bit. Yeah, which Just, I think is warranted, yeah. 100% warranted. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's kind of where we stand. But also, who cares? Yeah, Let it go. Yeah, it's, let it go. it's done and gone. Tim Beckham has already said he's going to keep doing what he's doing. Pitchers are going to keep doing what they're doing. And he should keep doing it. He's hitting over 400. Yeah, he's really right um, this year. Good so, him. I mean, he's having a good year. But, you know, I think we need to stop caring about it. If it, and maybe if we stop making news of it every time it happens, it'll stop not happening, but it'll evolve a little bit where there might be a conversation of players where they say, you know, maybe we should just not tone it down, but change the way we approach it as opposed to making it this big thing when we show someone up, when we bat flip and stand at home plate and stare at the pitcher and, you know, talk shit as we go around the bases or, you know, even some of the players standing in when they don't like it. Let it get settled the way that anything should get settled, which is you show me up, I'm going to inflict pain on you (laughs) you know um and for me it really comes down to sportsmanship that was just how i came up in sports was you don't show up the other team you show up the other team you get yelled at by the coach Mm -hmm. and granted these are grown men managed by other grown men some managers are cool with it some managers aren't some are old school some are new school dale murphy came out and said as uh as the president of the uh the last generation of baseball players i 100 percent endorse bat flips so you know but that's also from a hitter's perspective. Yeah. Ask a pitcher from the same era. They're going to say, fuck that. I'm going to hit him. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's an interesting story, mm-hmm. but it's really not much of a story. It's yeah. been a part of the game for Ever. the entirety of the game's history. It's going to continue to be a part of the game's history, whether there's suspensions or fines or not. I get there's some unwritten rules you want to maybe change in baseball. I don't think this is one of them. I think this is one that's going to continue to get um, people in the seats. Yeah, it makes things interesting. Yeah. Um, so that was who cares of the week. Uh, clearly, we do care about it. So it's kind of an, <laughs> yeah. We did uh, talk about it for fifteen minutes. Yeah, a hypocritical, <laughs> a hypocritical title. But generally, that won't be the way that the the segment works. Yeah. Works, but it will be us to share our passionate opinions about certain things that were big stories that we think shouldn't really be a big deal. Yeah, so guess, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, that was who cares of the week. We have Nick coming in for a second to give you his his analysis of these hockey playoffs that we made our random picks at and you know the islanders great i don't think we picked i don't think i picked the lightning i think you I picked did. the lightning which is out of the playoffs didn't look too got great swept me. weren't allowed to you know it, it was just it was a wild yeah, wild yeah. time hate to see it um so nick we'll we'll kick it over to you for your hockey analysis and uh we'll see you guys when we get back Hello and welcome to Nick's first ever Hockey Corner, Hockey Analysis, Playoff Picture. It's a working title, but we'll get one right. But it is the OG Sports Podcast, as I'm sure you already know. And a little introduction, my name is Nick Trujillo. I am currently a junior, I guess I'm a senior now at UMass Amherst. But uh, Steve and John have enlisted me to talk about hockey because apparently they don't know enough about it. So they dump it all on me. But I go to UMass Amherst, as I said before. We're now a big hockey school. We just lost the national championship. But that's a good segue into our first matchup, looking at the Calgary Flames versus the Colorado Avalanche. 
our our former star, Kale McCarr, has just signed with the Avalanche and actually scored in his first playoff game. His first goal in his first playoff game, one of the, I believe it was like eight or nine players to ever do that. But Colorado leads three to one, which I mean, now I'm a big Colorado Avalanche fan. So I'm happy about that. But the Flames were a top seed in their division, and it looks like they're going to lose that one. I mean, Colorado, despite being the second wild card and playing against that top seed, was a very strong team. They have Gabe Landeskog, they have Nathan McKinnon, now they've added McCarr and Miko Rantanen. It's just a really good combination of talent. So it looks like they're going to win that one. I don't think I'm going that far out on a limb and saying that. Moving on to the San Jose Sharks versus the Vegas Golden Knights. A lot of people thought that the Sharks would be dominating the series, but it's been the other way around. The Golden Knights have the three top scorers of the playoffs right now, and Max Pacioretty, Mark Stone, and Paul Stasny, all offseason pickups, which are, I mean, Mark Stone has been a huge part of this Vegas Knights team, and he signed an eight-year deal in the offseason, which is just, that deal looks better and better every day as the playoffs roll on. So, I'm also not taking the biggest leap of faith in saying I think the Knights will win one more game, setting up an Avalanche versus Golden Knights uh, matchup in the second round. So we'll stay on the Western Conference in a two very tightly contested series right now. The Nashville Predators versus the Dallas Stars is the first one. The Dallas Stars are an interesting case as they have Ben Bishop, former Lightning goalie in net, against an absolutely loaded Predators team that won the Western Conference. They had the best record. They had the most points. It's just, it, this should be the Predators' year. A lot of people thought think that the Predators will make it to the Stanley Cup Finals, but these stars just won't go away. They're obviously a talented team, too, with guys like uh, Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn and John Klingberg. These guys are putting up a good fight, and with the series, I believe... Now in Dallas, it'll go back to Nashville for the last two. Um, it's just, it's going to be a good series, a close finish, but I'm going to stick with the, the Nashville Predators to take that one. And then the last Western Conference uh, matchup in the first round is the St. Louis Blues versus the Winnipeg Jets. Now, the St. Louis Blues are an interesting case. They have historically disappointed in the playoffs. They have never reached the Stanley Cup final, and the Winnipeg Jets are a team that was also like the Predators, expected to make a long run in these playoffs. Uh, Winnipeg, with Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler and Connor Hallibuck in net, who's probably going to win the Vesna, or I think should win the Vesna in my eyes, it just seems like they have too much talent, but the series is now in St. Louis, so it could go either way. This next game is crucial in both of these last two series, but especially in this one, as St. Louis has a talented team, too, but they're nowhere near in the same class as Winnipeg. But, you know, I mean, it's playoff hockey. You never know. And speaking of never knowing, we, we move on to the Eastern Conference Finals, where we'll start with the two series that have already ended. The first one is the biggest shocker, maybe in sports this year. Actually, Tiger just won the Masters, so we can't say that. But the Tampa Bay Lightning were swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets, a team that barely got into the playoffs. They have, I mean, granted it is a talented roster, but nothing compares to the 62-win Tampa Bay Lightning. They tied the record for most wins in a season. They were so close to setting the record for points in a season, and they come up with no wins in, in this uh, this year's playoffs. Absolutely shocking. The team's loaded, loaded. Nikita Kucherov, 
and Steven Stamkos, you could put me on the line with them, and I'd score 30 goals. They have Andre Vasilevsky in net. They had Victor Hedman, who got injured in the series, and that's a big crucial part of why they lost so handily. But these guys just... This is one of the bigger disappointments I've seen in sports in my lifetime. Like, you think of... I, I saw a graphic on on a ESPN's Instagram, and it, it's true. Like, they're all of the, the record holders, the single-season record holders for each respective sport didn't win their championship. And a lot of them didn't make it out of the first round. Actually, not a lot of them, half of them. Because you remember the 2001 Mariners didn't make it out of the first round. Uh, and now the Tampa Bay Lightning didn't make it out of the first round. But the other two went to the championship in the 73-9 Warriors and the 16-0 Pats. But the next series that has ended another surprising sweep was the New York Islanders winning their first playoff series since... God knows when, probably 20, 25 years against the Pittsburgh Penguins. These Islanders, they shouldn't be as good as they are. I mean, they lost John Tavares in the offseason, their captain, their leader, and they were going up against a playoff-tested team in the Pittsburgh Penguins, a team that has won two Stanley Cups in recent memory. And, I mean, Crosby and Malkin have won three together, but they were handed... Uh, a tough draw, I guess, against the Islanders. The Islanders with Anders Lee leading the way. They've had very solid goaltender goaltending from uh, Robin Leonard. Um, it's just a really interesting collection of players that have just gelled together, and they've kind of rallied around the fact that everyone counted them out from the from the jump. After they lost Tavares, people thought they would end up near the bottom of the league, and here they are sweeping the Penguins in the first round. So we'll move on to the Washington Capitals versus the Carolina Hurricanes. Washington is obviously a very strong team, having won the Cup last year. They have one of the best goalies in the world in Braden Holpe. They have Alex Ovechkin leading the way with uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov. It's just a very strong team, and right now they lead 2-1. to one. I don't see how they could relinquish that lead against a young, inexperienced Carolina Hurricanes team. And... We'll move on to the last playoff series right now, which is, in my opinion, probably the most tightly contested, the Boston Bruins versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. Tied 2-2 right now after last night's 6-4 win for Boston. Um, This Maple Leafs team is very good, and (laughs) this Boston team is very good. It's a shame this is a first-round matchup because this honestly would have made a great uh, Eastern Conference Finals. But... These two teams really don't like each other. I mean, they play in the Atlantic Division. They see each other plenty of times throughout the season. And you can tell in the physical play that's been going on, uh, Nazem Kadri of the Toronto Maple Leafs got suspended for the entire first round after a blow to the head against the Bruins. And I think it was game one or game two. But you can really tell the animosity these teams have towards each other. And tied 2-2, it's a really great series right now. It's just starting to heat up. It's a best of three now. I had picked the Maple Leafs in the beginning to win this this uh, this series in seven, and I'm going to stick with that. But this is a series that I could really see going either way. I mean, Austin Matthews finally heated up last night. He scored two goals in a losing effort. But if this Maple Leafs team can get Tavares, Marner, Nylander, and Matthews going at the same time, I just don't see how the Bruins can stop that. But on the other hand, the Bruins probably have 
what I would say the best complete line in hockey with um with Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron just I mean that top line is it's really something special they have great chemistry and it's a really strong defensive team when Tukarask is on he's one of the best goalies in hockey and you can just I, I you can see how anyone would go both ways on this series it's probably the most tightly contested out of all of these uh, eight matchups and either way it's going to be a tough fought series I really think it's going to seven games but overall I'm going to take the Toronto Maple Leafs to move on and face the Columbus Blue Jackets in the next round so that'll wrap up my first ever hockey rundown Um, I'll be back next week with a review of the second round I'm sure all these series will be wrapped up by then But I hope you enjoy, and I'm Nick Trujillo for the OG Sports Podcast. All right, thank you, Nick, for that hockey segment. Um, We know hockey. A lot better for resident hockey guy. (laughs) Yeah, a lot better for a resident hockey guy to really talk about it than us, because we have no idea what we're talking about. (laughs) Um, But that concludes our podcast for this week. Uh, Tune in next week. We'll actually have two podcasts for you guys. Um, On Thursday, we'll be releasing a mock draft for the NFL right before the start of the NFL draft. And then on Friday, we'll be back with any sports news of the week, maybe another Who Cares of the Week. Um, Follow us on Spotify, rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and uh, thanks for listening, guys. Have a good one.